As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to our last episode of the season, season 10 of Rocketship.fm. And it's been a fun ride, hasn't it, Mike? Yeah, I can't believe that we did 30 episodes. That's, that's a lot of grievances and <laughs> confessions to work through. It's true. 60 grievances or confessions, in fact. And I hope some of these helped those listening. Um, I don't know, maybe to not feel so alone or alienated in their situations. Absolutely. Speaking of which, we have our final two confessions. And I think they're going to make a fitting ending. Well, we've touched on everything from you know, mundane annoyances and petty grievances to more serious anxiety-ridden firings, impossible parenting situations because of COVID, and even inequality and harassment in the workplace. Today, we're going to end with a little bit of insider gossip and a little poor behavior, too. I think you're going to like it, so let's jump right in. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. Today, we bring on our final guest of the season, Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, a podcast host, a book author, keynote speaker, startup advisor, and nonstop optimism machine. Great to be here. Really appreciate it. So I am the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, so I'm kind of always up to that. But the other thing I would love you to know is that I'm also up to hosting this podcast called Build for Tomorrow. I am very, very interested in how change happens and the things that stop people from embracing change and and and, and cause them to fear change. And so I dig into questions sim fun and also really heavy so anyway that's what i did all right so our first confession is a doozy we're calling it my boss can't write a simple email i've got something to get off my chest i've been working for a respected vc for the past 10 years 
first as his executive assistant and now as the chief of staff for the entire firm. He's somebody that's quoted often, has a very large Twitter following, and is one of the most sought-after speakers when it comes to the world of tech. He's been fine to work with. He treats me respectfully, and I definitely owe him for going to bat for me when it comes to my career moves at the firm. Here's the thing. The man can't cobble together a simple email. 98% of the time, he doesn't write or respond to his own emails. Somebody else at the firm does it for him. I know this as a fact because I used to be that person for the first few years I was here. You can always tell when he does write his own emails too because they'll be in all lowercase and just a couple of sentences long. Most of the time, he doesn't even review his emails because they'll never make it past his EA. That person will read them and respond accordingly, so long as it's something they can handle. So next time you reach out to your VC hero, you can wonder if that response you got back was actually from that person. Maybe, just maybe, it was really his assistant in disguise. Okay, so Jason, I know you have thoughts on this one. I love this. It, it makes me laugh. It makes me rage. It makes me rage against my rage. A lot of conflicting feelings here. I really, really wish that we culturally put more emphasis on teaching writing. There was a New York Times story years ago that I remember I loved the headline of, which was, What Corporate America Can't Build, colon, A Sentence. And like <laughs> that just nails it, right? We should be teaching people this. It's very sad that we're not, but this is the state. So say there's somebody listening who we've now thoroughly offended because they're yeah. a terrible writer. <laughs> How, you know, with access to everything that we have, where would you tell them to, to, to go and like their good courses? Are there things that you have done? Are there, there specific books that you've read? Where would you start if you wanted to become a better written communicator? Oh, that's a good question. Okay. So first of all, let me tell you one thing that I learned. I used to work with this guy on a project and we worked together for a few years and he was a terrible writer and it drove me crazy. And I used to give him advice. I'd be like, Hey, you used the wrong there on that tweet, right? It, there's an apostrophe. It's a different one. And he just, he would always be appreciative of it, and he, but he wouldn't seem to absorb it. And then later he discovered that he has ADHD and he's like a little dyslexic. And, and so it like, you know, for real, not like I have ADHD, right? Like he went to doctors. And so then I realized, you know, you can't always just assume that everybody is starting with the same like learning ability. So I think it's worth considering what your possible limitations are. But let's just say to be straightforward and simple about it, I think that the best thing that you can do is to pay very close attention to the things that you are reading. This is how I taught myself how to write. I identified good writing. I read it. I thought about it. Take a look at it. What is happening? Can you mimic it? Intentionally try to mimic it. I don't care if you are 20, which is when I was really trying to do this, or you're 40 or 60 or 80 or 100,000. Like, spend some time absorbing what you're reading. Think through it carefully and, and, and then try to mimic it. That is fascinating. Yeah, I actually, I remember doing that with James Altucher in the beginning. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
James, James is a friend of mine. So his writing is very simple, yes. but very effective. And uh -huh. his communication is amazing. And for like six months, I found myself just writing articles exactly like him. Yeah. I would just, I would be reading and then I'd go write. I didn't even mean to do it. But, but again, like to your point, of, he, he's not necessarily Ernest Hemingway, right? The mm -hmm. style is very approachable and it was very, it was easy to, to kind of pick up that voice within the writing. And it, but that, that really helped me in the early days kind of publish the medium articles and start to get a voice out there as well. I think that's really great. And s there's a lot to be said for simple writing. When I started, I was a ambitious and also insecure writer, which meant that I wanted my writing to be flowery and artistic, no matter what I did. I started as a community newspaper reporter. I would try to write these, you know, zoning board of appeals meetings with some flair. And there's no flair necessary there, right? And, uh, and, and that was in part because the person who I had selected to mimic when I was 20 years old was Dave Eggers, who is a wonderful novelist, but also a very mm -hmm. complex writer. And uh, I was trying to embody that voice. And you know what I found later on? I was, my first national magazine job was at Men's Health. And I wrote this piece I think it might have been about Paul Pierce. I can't remember. Uh, you know, and uh, whatever it was, it was a profile of some basketball player, I think. And I tried to do it in a different style. And that style was, instead of being flowery, which my editors hated, and I don't think I was very good at it anyway, I was just as straightforward as possible. I had it in my head. I was like, let me write this as if it is meant to be read fast. I want it to feel like mm. you get on a slip and slide with this piece, just whoosh, you know? And so that meant that the writing was very simple and straightforward. And thoughtful, but not complex mm. at all. And I got a reader email from it. When I, I rarely got reader emails at Men's Health. And and the guy was like, hey, I really like that Paul Pierce story. It was really interesting. Also, I loved how it was written. It was so straightforward and easy to read. And mm, huh. that, you know, that sounds that sounds like those advertisements that Budweiser puts out, which I always think are ridiculous, where they they describe their beer as drinkable, as if that's the thing right. that you want <laughs> out of a beer, is just like to be able to drink it. But you know. It turns out there was something to be said for that, that I, yeah. I had created something approachable. Instead of trying to flatter myself with my writing style, I created a larger on-ramp for my audience, and that was valuable. And, and I, have, I have attempted to embody that fastness and that slip-and-slideness ever since. We, we all do this, don't we? We all have these communities that we're in where we think really deeply about whatever it, whatever it is we're creating, whether it's a product or writing or anything else, and we want to impress each other with our great ideas. And you have to remember that you are not creating for that community. That, that community is thinking infinitely more about things and, and, and will poo-poo simple ideas in a way that your consumer, they don't want that. They're not thinking about that. No consumer has ever sat around like dissecting magazine stories in the way that me and my peers have dissected magazine stories ever. They are not, they, they're just looking for information. You know what I like to tell myself at, at Entrepreneur and I tell my staff too? Our audience does not want to read our magazine. They don't. They don't. They have more things to do. They don't want to sit there and read a magazine. They're doing it because it is the. It, it, they've decided that it's one of the best ways to get new ideas for their business, and that's what they want. But they don't want to be like sitting around enjoying a magazine. That's not what they want to right. do. So let's make this as easy for as possible for them. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors.
So our second confession of this episode and the last confession of the season, it's one that I hope none of you would have to make out there. Uh, Please, seriously, just don't be this person. This one is called, I ghosted a company and I don't feel bad. I feel pretty bad about something, so I might as well confess it here. I recently got a decent job offer from a company. It was a reputable company, but not one that I really wanted to work for but I needed a job. The pay was pretty good. I figured there are worse things than taking a job that pays pretty well, even if I wasn't super excited about working at the company. Then something happened. Two days before the job started, I got another offer, a much better one, at a company that was on my wish list to work for someday. So I immediately took that offer and then left a message on the hiring manager's voicemail letting them know that I wouldn't be taking the job after all. I also sent an email, but then muted the thread so that I wouldn't have to hear back. I also blocked the hiring manager's phone number so that I wouldn't have to continue the conversation. I know it's probably not the right thing to do politically, but I'm not sure that I care. I got the offer I wanted from the company I wanted to work for, and now I start tomorrow. All right, Jason, what did you think? Oh my God, this is wrong in every possible way. This is, this is... This is terrible. Feel bad. You should feel bad about this, and you should never do anything like it ever again. Okay, the, I, I'm going to let this person off. The, I'm actually curious what you guys think about this one element here, because I, I, there are like three things to discuss as I see it here. Number one was the decision to abandon the job that you just took. Mm-hmm. Number mm-hmm. two was the not engaging in the response in any way. In fact, in fact halting the ability for this response to even reach you. And then number three was this line, it's probably not the right thing to do politically, but I'm not sure that I care. So these are the three things to discuss as far as I'm concerned. And (laughs) the first one, I am actually going to let this person off the hook. I think that crappy as it was, and I would hate if I was a hiring manager for someone to do this to me, don't take a job that you aren't, enthused about you you need to be enthused about it and so and, and so i and, and haven't we all done something to our own sacrifice because we thought it was the right thing to do for somebody else and it ultimately doesn't serve anybody so i think though you created problems for everybody good on you for not settling for the job you didn't really want and for doing the hard thing even though you took the easy way out of the hard thing doing the hard thing of actually taking the other job. Do do you guys agree on that point? The only thing I would say is that maybe, you know, it's like you ought to give yourself a little bit more time to make that decision in the first place, or at least put more thought into it. Sounds like, man, I don't know if they really weighed, like, I really don't want this, but sounds like job offer came up and it's like, well, I'll take it because I need the money, but maybe, maybe they should have accepted it so quickly. I don't know. And, And to Mike's point, job offers don't just pop out of thin air. Right. You're obviously interviewing in a couple pipelines. Right. So they definitely could have waited a couple of days just to see what offers came through. In fact, they'd have leverage in that situation to actually negotiate against offers. I, I get it. I get it. You know, the, these these things do happen. These things happen. So but now let's move on to the to the other stuff. So the decision to not engage with the response at all is a terrible one. A yes. terrible, terrible one, which which leads into the third thing we'll discuss. But I, I want to say I have had to tell people bad news. 
And I have sometimes it's bad news that was not in my control. Sometimes it's bad news that I created. And I have found this very important thing, which is that I, I dread the response. Or if it's a phone call, I dread having to make the phone call. But at the end of it, every single time, I always think to myself, huh, that could have gone worse. Like, that wasn't, that wasn't so bad. It was, it was uncomfortable. I didn't like doing it. Could have been worse. And it makes it easier to do it the next time. Because if you want to succeed in business, or in life for that matter, you have to have hard conversations. And you have to be willing to sit with and engage with whatever bad comes out of that. And and I, I really believe that we create patterns for ourselves. And if you engage with these conversations, then it becomes easier to do it next time and more natural. And if you ghost the company that you literally just took a job from, it is going to become even harder for you to have the next hard conversation. And you're doing yourself a disservice in the long run. You're also, I mean, as a hiring manager, that person's not going to be at that company forever. They might move on to the next company that you want to be. They might know the hiring manager of the next opportunity you're trying to take advantage of and it doesn't but these industries are small right like mm-hmm. very very small and so burning those bridges when you could at least have an awkward conversation walk away and they're like well so and so is a they're a good person i get why they did it you know yeah. and and then then no hard feelings but now they're just like yeah they're just a dick now real hard feelings no well that that yeah. segues perfectly into point number three i know i'm just quoting from that Letter. I know it's probably not the right thing to do politically, but I'm not sure that I care. Oh boy, will you care? <laughs> yes. <laughs> when this comes back to bite you, and it will, because mm-hmm. people talk. People talk. Yeah. I have. I. I am. You know, when I'm at the bar with colleagues or people who have n- nothing to do with my business, for which you know you never know how they're going to intersect. Yeah, we talk about people we really love and we talk about people we really hate. And you don't want to be on the wrong side of that conversation. Do you think, Jason, they could reconcile this? Do you think like they could go back and be like, look, guys, I screwed up. I'm sorry. I just wanted to acknowledge uh, that that what I did was wrong to to the, the company that they walked away from. I think that you could give it a shot. I don't know how <laughs> that hiring manager is going to feel about it. But, you know, I, I don't think that. I think that it's worth trying. I honestly do because it can't get any worse than the situation that you have already created. So you reach out and either you make something a little bit better or you keep it exactly as bad as it is before. There's no way to make it worse. And also possibly even if the hiring manager gets that email today and is like... (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I don't know about this. Still, maybe a year later, when the name comes up in conversation and they say, man, that person did this crappy thing, but then they apologized. So there's there's a core there and that, that might work. You know, a way to think about this, which I think is useful, people don't necessarily judge you by the decisions you make. They judge you by how you make those decisions. We will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Okay, so it's the last episode of the season. I figured we'd close out with our takeaways from the entire season. Whatever stood out to you the most, because honestly, there was a lot covered. Yeah, and you know what? The biggest takeaway for me for the entire season is, well, 
I hope this isn't cheating, Michael, but I've got a couple. And then first, the first is just that most of the issues that we have heard this entire season, they were people issues. You know, many of the confessions, Mm. um, the really situations where the person submitting the confession could use some advice, but the advice wasn't so much, hey, how do I launch this product well? Or what metric should I be using? They were looking for advice on how to deal with people. How do I deal with a coworker who's been a real jerk? Or, you know, how do I deal with a boss who can't write an email, right? Uh, So that is definitely takeaway one. The other takeaway for me is just that people, maybe we ought to be more vulnerable. I mean, people shared so many stories about themselves. They confessed so many things that seemingly they wouldn't have if we were sharing their real name. Now, we, of course, hired voice actors to portray this season's confessions, and that seemed to encourage a lot of people to confess a lot of different things. But in all these confessions, the experts that we had on, they seemed to relate directly with the people making the confessions. So chances are if these people making the confessions shared these things with, say, their friends, their coworkers, their boss, maybe they would get some empathy from them. Okay, maybe you don't want to share it with, a crazy boss or offensive coworker, but you know, for the good bosses and the good coworkers out there, I think they would get some empathy. That is amazing. Yes. And I, I think people really is the the key to this whole season. We saw way more people confessions than I expected. So my takeaway from the whole season, the whole thing is in the same vein. I think we just need to be a little kinder. We need to communicate a little better. So many of these confessions, all 60, right? They could be solved by kindness and communication. Now, I know things get lost when we're in high-pressure situations at work where we have very little time to get things done and often not enough process and direction to, to be successful. So we end up leaving people out of the loop, sometimes on purpose, sometimes not. Uh, but those people feel frustrated, sometimes really frustrated. But it's important we're all moving forward as a team when we're working with a company. And more often than not, these confessions were from folks working in companies and companies that need to move forward together in unison but weren't for some reason because people were competing with each other or withholding information from each other or just focused on the wrong things at work. And so let's keep that in mind that especially as we're all remote now and some of us are going back to the office, but if we're doing things that could make people feel alienated or disconnected from from the work that we're doing, let's stop. Let's let's uh, act with kindness and compassion. And doing this would certainly minimize a lot of the issues that we unearthed over the last 60 confessions in this season. Yeah, Michael, I, I really like that one, too. And I think that these takeaways are probably a great way to end the season. So we'll end it right here and no more episodes coming up, right? <laughs> no, we'll be back next week. Ah, of, course. of course we will. <laughs> In fact, if I remember right, don't we have a little bonus episode coming up soon? Yeah, we've got a couple. We've got a couple before we start season 11, which is uh, unfathomable. But yeah, we've got we'll, we'll do we'll do a couple bonus episodes and, you know, probably sometime in August we'll be looking to launch season 11, which is going to be a good one, but I'm not going to reveal quite yet what it's going to be about. All right. Well, you'll have to stick with us in these coming weeks here and definitely join us again. Uh, in the next few days here as we release the first of a couple bonus episodes. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network, and if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to the Podglomerate 
rocketship.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com. 